Father, we thank you that your word is good and true. Thank you that we can gather around it now, Lord, and be challenged and transformed by it. So pray, Lord, that you will uh, use me now. In your name. Amen. Amen. That's it for those of you that don't know me. My name is Dean. I'm part of the church here. I'm going to be opening up the passage for you today. So it would be great if you could have your Bibles open at Matthew 19 and uh, follow along with us this morning. I'm going, to, I'm going to start with uh, two scenarios. So both scenarios start with me coming up at the front of church with a grand prize. It could be whatever you want. It could be money, it could be sweets, whatever you think in your head is being a grand prize. And I'm going to give it, I'm going to reward somebody in the church for just being awesome. So scenario one, I choose one of the kids. Maybe it's Andrew, maybe it's Joel, it's someone else, and I'm going to bet if I said their name, nine times out of ten, they'll come running to the front, arms wide open, desperate for the prize. They won't question it, they won't think it's a trick, they'll want the prize. Because kids approach life with their innocence, don't they, like that? They just want the good stuff. Scenario two, I ask one of the adults, maybe one of the cynical adults, you know who they are, and uh, I say one of their names, maybe it's Matty, and I say, Matty, my reward's for you. At 9 times nine, nine, at 10, what's going through in Matty's head is, where's the trick? What's he going to do to embarrass me here? There's got to be a catch. I can't just be getting a reward. Some adults might be a different response. It might be a bit more of an insecure response. You might be sitting there thinking, if I choose you for the reward, what's going on in your head is, do I deserve the reward? What have I done? Am I really good enough to get a prize once we have one in church? You see, kids and adults, they approach life differently, don't they? There's something about life and growing up that gives you a cynicism or an insecurity about things. Why am I starting that? Well, last week, Nathan opened up the passage immediately before this, where Jesus welcomes little children and he says, Well, like this, for the people who will come, not laden by anything, will come innocently and grab hold of the prize he's offering. Well, today's passage comes immediately after that. And if last week we saw the child's good response to the kingdom, today we're going to see the adult's bad response to the kingdom. The response that we all have, but we shouldn't, when we're offered out the kingdom of God. So we start with our man, don't we? Our rich young man in this version of the story. In other Gospels, it's sometimes referred to as a ruler. We're going for a rich young man today. And he's heard Jesus. He's heard Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. He's heard Jesus offer out the gift of eternal life. But he fears that he's not in. He's got that little doubt that he's not up to it. He wants to know what thing he's got to do, what box he's got to take to make sure he gets to be in. He's not approaching it like the child. In verse 16, he says, What good thing must I do to get eternal life? What box do I need to tick? What magic bullet do I need to get in? In verse 17, Jesus responds saying, There's only one who is good. You want to enter life, keep the commandments. And if, at this point, if the rich young man was really listening, Jesus has already given away the twist that's coming in a few verses of time. Right? 
looking for honest goods. If you come to church for a while, hopefully you know that he's talking about himself, God's own son, the only one who was good. And that the commandments are the ways that God has shown us how we be God on earth. Then the answer's already there, isn't it? How could this rich young man ever follow all of the commandments? But he's not there yet. And if he's not really listening, he's not really paying attention. And you can tell by his answer. Because he's, he says, which ones? Which boxes do I need to take? Which commands will get me in? Tell me more. So Jesus lists some. And notice these are all the horizontal commandments. They're all the things, the way you relate to each other. So let me read some out. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your mother and father. And love your neighbor as yourself. And now the, the young man gives an answer that I think is utterly unbelievable. He says, yeah, I've done that. Tick those boxes, done it. And what we want Jesus to do in this point is to sit him down and go, you liar. Let me tell you all the bad things you've ever done in your life. Jesus doesn't do that. And he doesn't need to. Because the young man gives the game away himself. See, he's still not secure. He still knows that he's lacking something. He still knows that he's not quite measuring up because he says, I've done it all, but what still do I lack? What still do I need to do? What boxes do I still need to tick to get in to eternal life? And now Jesus has the opportunity to dig deeper, to get to the heart of the matter. He says to him, sell the lot. Get rid of everything you've got, give it to those who need it, give it to the poor, and follow me. And as he says it, it's like a dagger to the heart of the young man. With that one simple request, he exposed the one command that he was completely incapable of keeping. A command that Jesus hasn't mentioned to him yet, but elsewhere, he said, is the greatest of all the commandments. Love the Lord your God. Of all other things, love God. In the Ten Commandments, it says, don't have any other gods before me. And he can't keep it because he's got an idol. Remember, idols are things that we love more than God. They're things that we worship instead of him. Money is his idol. And wealth and power and the commit the standing in society and the self-assurance that having lots of money gives you is the idol that is controlling him. It's become so big for him that even when the God of the universe is looking him in the eye and saying, leave it behind follow me and have true eternal life, he can't do it. He can't imagine giving it up and he walks away. Which is why Jesus is able to tell that infamous parable of the camel and the eye of the needle. He says first, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he ups the game. He says, 
I tell you the truth. But it says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I've taught seven-year-olds to sew on a placement when I was trained to be a teacher. I've seen them try and get a tiny thread through the eye of a needle. It's painful. Very painful. So I can tell you definitively that it is impossible for a camel to get through an eye of a needle. And any attempt that you might have heard in the past or might hear in the future to try and make this parable mean anything other than it's impossible is foolishness. Because Jesus himself is the one that's going to, in a few lines' time, use the word impossible. It's not possible. Don't make the mistake that the disciples do. Don't assume that this story is only talking about money and wealth. Don't assume that, except that this passage is simply one that's telling you if you've got too much money, you're not in the kingdom. It's so much bigger and it's so much more important than that. You see, when the disciples hear this, they hear Jesus saying that it's impossible for this rich man to get to heaven, they're deeply shocked. If a rich, wealthy, respectable, law-abiding citizen can't get into heaven, then who can? Who can do it? They're led to ask the most important question that anyone can ask is, who then can be saved? If not there, if not him, then who? But what they're looking for is what we're often looking for, isn't it? What they want Jesus to give them now is a list of the in crowd and a list of the out crowd. Okay, so the rich are out, so we're the poor in. The powerful are out, so we're the weak in. That's what they want, isn't it? They want Jesus to say, yeah, they can't say, but these people can. But Jesus deliberately doesn't give them an answer like that. He wants to keep them on point. He wants to get to the heart of the matter. In verse 26, he says, with man, this is impossible. You could be saying, with man, it's impossible. For anyone to be saved. See, on our own, it's not possible for you and me to enter the kingdom of God. Because all of us, like the rich man, have idols. We have things that have stopped us from putting our trust in Jesus above all things. How do you know that? How do you know what they are? Well, it's the thing that if you search your soul now, you take a deep look be the thing that you know that you couldn't live without. The thing that if you were standing face to face with Jesus right now and he looked you in the eye and he said, let it go, stop doing it, follow me, and your heart would sink and you would doubt it all and you would go, how could I possibly not do that and follow Jesus? We've all got those things. So it might be money, 
that might be your idol. I think a good way of knowing that is if you listen to a passage like this or you read it in the Bible, if the thing that you can't get your head around, the thing that you can't escape from, is trying to twist and turn this passage to mean anything other than get rid of some money, then money's probably your idol, right? That's the thing that you can't get your head around. But it could be something else as well. Maybe it's your status or your standing in your family or friends or your work. The way that people see you. And you know that if you follow Jesus, then that will change. People might look differently at you. Friends might mock you. Work colleagues might reject you. Family might reject you. And the idea of losing that status and standing is too big for you to let go and follow Jesus. Or it could be relationships or particular types of intimacy that you get from relationships where you think, I couldn't possibly follow a God that says that I can't follow those things. I can't pursue all those things in relationships that I want to. I can't have that relationship because I've got to follow Jesus. It could be that and it seems too big for you to let go. It's any pursuit, any object, anything in your life that has got a grip on you that means you don't want to give everything to Jesus. It's anything that stops us from leaving it all behind and following him. But thanks be to God. That's not where Jesus ends. He says, with man it is impossible, but, but with God all things are possible. Here's the central truth that you need to hold on to today. To get eternal life, to enter the kingdom of God, to be with him, to be saved, you need to leave your idols behind and follow Jesus. But you can't do it. You can't do it on your own. You and I need an intervention from God himself. We need God himself to come and transform our hearts to believe in him. See, the rich young man was only interested in a thick list of things that he could do, a bit of magic that he could perform to get him in with God. But what he really needed, what he really needed was for the God of the universe to change his heart. For God to take away his, his desire and follow Jesus. That's the only way we can ever leave behind our idols and follow him. So if you're someone here today who hasn't put your trust in Jesus, if that's not yet you, if you're not a believer, please, please, please don't respond like the man in the story. Don't walk away from today despairing because your idol seems too big to get go off, let go of seems too big to leave behind, even for the promise of eternal life. Instead, stop putting obstacles in, your, in the way of you and God. And I think there are two ways in which you can be tempted to do that. Firstly, stop trying to find the magic bullet, the list of good things that you can tick off to make yourself right with God. With man, it is impossible. If you're only here today on Sunday, 
if you're only doing that volunteer work, or you're only giving that money away because you think that's the ticket in, that's the thing that's going to tip the balance to make you good enough for heaven, then stop. Remember, it's only going to take an intervention from the living gods to change your heart. So stop trying to do stuff and come to him. Come to Jesus and confess your complete inability to do it on your own. Confess that you're not good enough to do it. And ask him to change you. Ask him to transform your heart. But for some of you, the obstacle might be different. You might already painfully know the depths of your sin. You know that you can't live up to the standard of God. You know it deeper than anyone. You know and ruled yourself out. You said, I just can never get it. I just will never be good enough. You know it's impossible to save yourself and you despair. But if that's you, then remember that what is impossible for man is more than possible with God. The Bible and church history are full of people who are holding on to idols that seem so big, so insurmountable, that nobody would ever thought that they could put their hope and trust in Jesus. And yet, through the work of God, their hearts were changed and they're with him now. A couple of examples, there was a, a guy early in church history called Augustus of Hippo, who, if you met him as a young man, you would have said, this man has got no hope of being with Jesus. No hope at all. You could see his idols from a mile off. He loved pursuing the pleasures of this world, having a party, drinking lots of things, and having lots of girlfriends. Yeah, he knew it, and he pursued it. But at the end of his life, he was known across the world for being a man who would give up his life for Jesus, who would give up anything to trust and believe in him. What happens? God happens. At some point in his life, God intervened, changed, and transformed his heart. And he became one of God's people. And the same thing happened to me as a young teenager. One of, and it still actually is one of the items I struggle with, is this need to have people think that I'm good. Think that I'm good and competent and intelligent. And I need people to believe that about me. And I did as a young guy. And one of the things when I first started exploring Christianity, that always held me back was this idea that people will think I'm stupid. If I suddenly start better my life on this, people will look badly at me. And the only thing that could change that was a work from God. God did a work in my life to change my heart so that I could believe in him. What about if you're a believer here? What about if you've already decided to put your hope and trust in Jesus? You might be sitting there now with exactly the same question as Peter had in verse 27. He says, we've left everything to follow you. What then will it be for us? For those of us that are firmly on Team Jesus, I think we've got two things to finish with. 
we got a strong encouragement and a gentle rebuke. He starts the encouragement though with a direct word to his disciples. Remember, these are the 12 people that he specially chose to be his apostles with a particular purpose and mission. And he says to them, when the time comes for all things to be made new, when he's going to return and transform all the things in the world and establish his kingdom forever, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm going to be honest here, because there are people who are much cleverer than me and have had a lot more time to study this than me that do lots of very long arguments about exactly what that means for the 12 disciples. And I haven't got the time or the intelligence to do that today. So I'm just going to boil it down to one thing that I think I can, we can grab hold of and say with confidence from that day. And that is that Jesus is assuring the apostles, the special 12 he called for a unique mission, that they will have a special part to play in the establishment of his kingdom. And I think that's enough for us today. And if you want to ask more questions about it, you can. But I think for us today, that's enough to grab hold of. Because then, Jesus does talk to us directly. He addresses everyone, everyone who has left houses, brothers or sisters, or father or mother, or wife or children, or fields for my sake. In other words, anyone who has left their idols to follow Jesus. Anyone here that has put their hope and trust in him. And he says to them that they will receive a hundred times as much, and they will inherit eternal life. They will get to be in that everlasting kingdom with no more pain and sorrow with the God who created the universe. Why does he phrase it that way? Why does he put it like that? Because Jesus knows that there is a real cost, that there are real sacrifices to be made when we put our hope and trust in him. He knows it. And I don't need to convince him that he's here now. You know it's true because you're living it. There are some of you here that have had relationships damaged because of your trust in Jesus. You may have even lost relationships altogether because they weren't happy that you followed Jesus. I know for myself, my relationship with my dad, though we still talk, we still see each other all the time, has never been the same since the day I first told him I wanted to follow Jesus because he doesn't get it. You think it's alien to them. Some of you could have chosen to live and work anywhere in this country. You could have been successful living in the leafy suburbs, and instead, you're living here in Spain to serve the gospel. Some of you have gone as far as to reduce work hours, to give up work, to work, to actually refuse work in order to give more time for the gospel here. You've made real sacrifices. Elsewhere in the world, the sacrifices seem even bigger. There are some people around the world that to follow Jesus means imprisonment or death. There are real sacrifices. So Jesus wants you to know, he needs you to hear that the day is coming. 
the day when he will make all things right. When we will receive our inheritance as sons and daughters of the living God. When we will be with him forever. When life's hard, when the sacrifices seem too much, remember that it's all for the price, it's all for the goal of eternal life with Jesus. But just before we finish, let's not miss the warning in verse 30. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Again, we don't have a lot of time to dive too deeply into this, but the parable immediately, that immediately follows this, which is the workers on the vineyard, addresses that, that, that phrase that Jesus says there. And the thing that surprises you, the thing that should surprise you, is he's not actually talking about a rich young man here. That's not who he's talking about. He's talking to the disciples. See, Jesus is going to go on in that parable to remind them that just because they've already been saved, just because they made big sacrifices long before anyone else did, that they shouldn't fall into the trap of thinking that makes them any better than anyone else. See, the temptation is when you put your hope and trust in Jesus, when you're saved and you're secure, that you look at everyone else that hasn't done it yet and thought, idiots. I'm better than them. They haven't done it. And that's exactly what Jesus doesn't want you to think. Because you need to remember that it was only through the saving work of Jesus that you were saved. It was as possible for you to be saved as it is for that person down the road that you look down on, who looks unsavable. It was as possible for you as it was for them. It takes Jesus to save anybody. It's only by the grace of God that I am saved, that anyone here as a believer is saved, not by any power that we have. What is impossible for man is possible for God. It is in Christ alone that we have our salvation, in Christ alone that we have been saved. So I'm going to pray for us now. I'm going to pray for people here that are believers yet, that they will trust in him. They will recognise that they cannot save themselves and that God will do a saving work in them. And I pray for us as believers that we will remember and cling on to the truths that our sacrifices are for and for greater glory to Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your saving work on the cross. Lord. We thank you that even though it is impossible for us to save ourselves, that you made a way to change our hearts. And I pray for anyone here who has not yet believed that. Lord, I pray that they won't see their idols as a thing that can never be got, got rid of, Lord, but they will come to you and ask you to do a change in work in their hearts. And I pray for the believers here that might be struggling, Lord, that might be finding life hard and difficult in the mix of great sacrifices. Lord, I pray that they will cling on to their hope of the glory to come. In your name, Amen. amen. So we're going to now and stand now and sing in Christ the name. Christ the name.